welcome to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. This podcast is devoted to helping increase your daily exposure to God's Word with a short scripture reading and brief commentary on key ideas, themes, and theology in each chapter. Now please join your host, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Well, welcome back to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. Today is January 22nd, and we're going to look at Genesis 22. Uh, As a reminder, every day I read one chapter from the Word of God, and then I briefly explain the theology and the themes and the ideas and the verse. Uh, My goal is to get you into God's Word for about 5 to 20 minutes every day. And you know what? Sometimes I'm successful, and we get you out of here before 20 minutes, and sometimes we go uh, a little further. Well, let's get into our reading from God's Word today from Genesis 22. Genesis 22 says this, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to the young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took it in his hand, the fire and the knife. And so they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they went, both of them, together. And when they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide, as it is to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice." And so Abraham returned to his young man, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. 
And now after these things, it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah has borne children to your brother Nahor, Uz, his firstborn, Buzz, his brother, Camille, the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jilplah, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. And moreover, his concubine, whose name was Rehom, bore Teba, Gaman, and Tahash, and Makkah. Now, this is the reading, a reading from God's word. And in this chapter, this episode, is it brings to a climax God's ongoing interaction with Abraham, resulting in an important divine oath. The conditional promises of Genesis 12, 1-3 are now unconditionally guaranteed as a result of Abraham's preparedness to sacrifice his son. Put to the test, Abraham displays remarkable trust in the Lord, especially when the death of Isaac would appear to contradict all that God had promised to Abraham. This passage it conveys two truths for its original audience. It shows, first, the kind of faith Abraham had and commends it for Israel. Second, it shows that substitution is part of the atoning sacrifices that God would direct Israel to offer. In fact, this further enables the people of God to see their very existence even in the desert as part of God's plan, which they must embrace. James 2, uh, 21 through 22 teaches that Abraham's works here uh, with his faith from Genesis 15, 6 is completed, meant it's brought to its full and its proper expression. In James 2.21, it has the sense uh, shown to be righteous rather than the sense of counted righteous, often in Paul's epistles. God tested Abraham. In the particular form of the verb tested, it makes this phrase a summary of the whole passage and clarifies the meaning of the events. The genuineness of Abraham's obedience to God is tested. And while it is not unknown for God to test individuals, testing must be clearly distinguished from tempting. God does not tempt anyone to do evil, but he does test the commitment of his people. Verse 2, your only son Isaac whom you love. And with the departure of Ishmael from Abraham's household, Isaac had become Abraham's only son. And as such, he was held with much affection by his father. The land of Moriah. Well, according to Second Chronicles 3.1, Solomon constructed the temple on Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. And while Genesis 22 does not specify that the sacrifice of Isaac took place at or in Jerusalem, verse 14 uh, possibly implies such a connection. A burnt offering involved the entire sacrifice being consumed by fire. Now, the outcome of this incident makes it clear that God never intended the directive to be fulfilled. And thus, taken as a whole, in terms of both the command and the outcome, the incident cannot be seen to conflict with God's moral law. Because this was by far the greatest demand that God could have made of Abraham, it confirmed the death of his commitment to the Lord. You see, Abraham was willing to kill his own son, although as the author of Hebrews observes in Hebrews 11, 17-19, he prepared to do so, believing that God was able to bring Isaac back to life again. Verse 3, 
Abraham rose early in the morning. Now Abraham's response to the challenge put before him is here. In verse 4, on the third day, it requires about two days to travel on foot from Beersheba to Jerusalem, a distance of about 45 miles as a crow flies. Elsewhere, two days also represents the time set aside to prepare for a special encounter with the Lord on the third day. Perhaps this sets the pattern for the significant third day of Christ's resurrection. Verses 5-8 through eight, I and the boy will come again to you. And while Abraham is committed to sacrificing Isaac, he plans to do so in the belief that both of them will return. God will provide the lamb. Now, it's unclear whether Abraham is speaking ironically here or whether he's expressing faith that somehow God will preserve his son. And as it turns out, God does provide a substitute for Isaac, as we see in Genesis twenty-two thirteen. Verse 11, the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus. The repetition of the name Abraham underscores the urgency of the intervention. Verse 12, now I know that you fear God. Abraham's action confirms his faithful obedience to the Lord. While Abraham's faith was earlier the means by which God counted him as righteous in Genesis 15:6, that faith is now active along with his works, and the faith is completed by his works, as we see in James 2:21 through 23, so that his faith resulted in obedience, which is the expected outcome. Verse 13, behind him was a ram, and although Abraham has passed the test, the Lord provides a ram so that it may be sacrificed as a burnt offering. In Genesis, such sacrifices are associated with solemn promises made by the Lord. Instead of his son, uh, the, the fact that a ram died in the place of Isaac has led many Christian interpreters to see introduced here by the principle of substitutionary atonement, which would later become a reality in the substitutionary sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, according to John one twenty nine, Verse 14. Echoing Abraham's earlier comment to Isaac in verse 8, the location is named, the Lord will provide. And on the basis of this belief, developed as it said to this day, that God would provide the sacrifice necessary to atone for sin. The mount of the Lord denotes the hill on which the temple was later built in Jerusalem. Verses 15 through 18. The divine oath recorded in these verses should not be overlooked for it brings to a climax a process that started with the conditional promises made by God to Abraham in Genesis 12, 1-3. By myself, I've sworn, our text says. And the fact that God swears by himself, it gives to these words a unique authority assuring Abraham that they will indeed be fulfilled as we see in Hebrews 6, 13-18. You see, the oath falls into two parts. Whereas the first half focuses on Abraham's many descendants, the second part concentrates on who will overcome his enemies in Genesis 22:17, and and mediate all the blessing to all the nations of the earth according to verse 18. And although the second half of the oath is often taken to refer to all of Abraham's descendants, Genesis as a whole is interested in tracing a single unique line of offspring that will eventually bring forth a special king who will rule over all the Gentiles. The reference to his enemies points in this direction also, which is why Paul in Galatians 3.16 can insist on one offspring who is Christ, for offspring is a particular descendant. 
And now this explains why Isaac is clearly set apart from Ishmael as Abraham's heir. From the perspective of the whole Bible, this oath to Abraham comes to fulfillment in Jesus Christ according to Acts 3.25-26 and Galatians 3.16. Verses 16-17, through 17, Because you have not withheld your son, your only son. Now, the central focus of God's words to Abraham is on the way in which Abraham's action are a vindication of his faith, as we see in Romans 4.3, Romans 4.22-23, Galatians 3.6, and James 2.23, verses 20-24. Nahor's children. Now, genealogies often give a demarcation line of major sections of material in Genesis. These verses, which function like a minor genealogy, they divide the main parts of Abraham's story from Genesis 12 through 22 from several episodes that serve as an appendix to the life of Abraham. The death and burial of Sarah, as we see in Genesis 23, the acquisition of a wife for Isaac in Genesis 24, and the death of Abraham. Abraham in Genesis 25, 1 through 11, and the special reference to Rebekah in Genesis 22, 23, and anticipates the events of Genesis 24, when Abraham sends a servant to Pattern Aran to find a bride for Isaac from among his relatives. Now, Abraham's willingness to sacrifice his son has provoked much commentary. Understanding it rightly, though, is vital to grasp how God accomplished redemption. Principle among the difficulties in this chapter is the Lord's demand for a human being to give to him a burnt offering, as we see in verse 2, since the law of Moses forbids uh, using children as a burnt offering in Leviticus 18.21 and Leviticus 22. And so we must ask this question. Is God then contradicting his own moral character when he requires the patriarch to sacrifice his son? Well, as, as we're about to see, this is not the case. First, it is not unethical for the Lord, in principle, to demand human sacrifice. Because he is a creator, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Psalm 24.1 says, God is the author of life and has every right to obligate Abraham to return his son to him. As a source of ethics, the Almighty determines what kind of killings are lawful and which are unacceptable, as we saw in Genesis 9, 5-6. And in line with this point, God did actually require his people to sacrifice their firstborn sons. And yet the Israelites did not kill their children in making this offering. Instead, God took a Levite for temple service or a payment of five shekels as a substitute for the child, as we see in Numbers 3.40-51. And the principle of substitution is taught throughout Genesis 22, and we're going to return to this as we continue throughout the Bible. And second... Abraham's test is theological and it's historically extraordinary because he was called the sacrifice, the heir on whom the blessing of the Lord itself is dependent. No other son occupied such a vital role with the exception of Jesus. And so believers know that this circumstance was unique in the plan of God's redemption. God's later mandate of substitution only reinforces the uniqueness of this event. Finally, the whole of Genesis 22 shows us that the Lord always planned to prevent Abraham from taking Isaac's life. God knew he would stay the patriarch's night, thereby reinforcing the principle of substitutionary sacrifice, which reveals the mercy and the grace of God.
John Calvin writes, The Lord indeed is so indulgent to our infirmity that he does not thus severely and sharply try our faith. And yet he intended in the father of all the faithful to propose an example by which he might call us to a general trial of faith. God will not test us as he did Abraham. And yet, nevertheless, he will bring trials into our lives to strengthen our faith and to bring assurance to our lives. If you are facing a test today, know that God can sustain you if you trust in him. Spend some time today listening to the testimonies of people who have been converted to Christ. And it will probably not be too long until you hear a promise that believing in Christ will make your life easier in some way. And most people who say such things or who give the impression that the life of faith is easy are motivated by a desire to see as many people converted to Christ as possible. And so their ways of speaking about Christ are understandable. And yet such individuals do a disservice to people who are considering the claims of Christ. Trusting in Jesus adds complications to our lives that we do not have before we place our faith in him. Often in the Christian life, we have to trust God in the hard places, believing that he is commanding us to do the things that are ultimately for our good, even if we cannot yet understand how that could be so. The life of Abraham illustrates this point well. Abraham often had to trust God when it was difficult to do so, and he sometimes failed to believe the Lord. He was promised many descendants, but when God seemed to be taking too long to fulfill his promises, Abraham took matters in his own hands and fathered Ishmael with his wife's maid, Hagar, as we see in Genesis 15, 1-6 and Genesis 16, 1-16. Such an action, it shows us that Abraham did not necessarily find it easier to trust God than we do. And yet, the greatest test of Abraham's faith did not come until years after he had Ishmael. Decades passed, and finally Sarah conceived a child, and Isaac, the son of promise, was born. The couple's trust in God was finally vindicated after years and years of waiting. And we can hardly imagine the joy that Isaac brought to his parents. And yet soon this trust was tested again when Abraham, as we are talking about today, was called to sacrifice Isaac, the son for whom he had to wait for, for what no doubt seemed like an eternity. And Abraham did pass the test, but he struggled to pass the test. He did not set out with Isaac right away, but he delayed his trip until morning, maybe even hoping that God would call off the test entirely. It seemed that Abraham could finally move forward because he believed that God would provide a substitute for Isaac. But since God did not tell him that explicitly, he must have endured great agony until the Lord finally did provide the lamb just in time. Abraham was no superhuman saint. He struggled to trust God when it seemed impossible to do so. But he did trust the Lord. He showed himself to be a model of faith for us. That is to say, authentic faith does not trust God only when times are good. It also believes God. It acts upon his word when doing so guarantees great difficulties. Resolve right now, today, to trust God when it is hard and ask the Lord to give you the courage, the conviction, the stamina to continue to follow him even when doing so means that you're going to count a high cost. And although we know that we have good reasons for placing our hope in the Lord, that does not mean the life of faith is always an easy one. Sometimes when God calls us to act, we cannot be sure of what he's planning to do through us. Sometimes we just have to trust him in the hard places. 
And the life of Abraham is a good example of this. We need to remember, Abraham was promised a nation of many descendants in Genesis 15. But when God delayed giving a son to Abraham, Abraham took upon it himself to father Ishmael with his maid Hagar in Genesis 16. And though God did promise to make a nation of Ishmael, he did, was not the child of promise. After a long wait, the child of promise, Isaac, was born to Abraham and to Sarah. Now imagine what joy there was in the promised son being born. God did the impossible. He gave a child to the couple who were advanced in years, a couple we need to keep in mind, who had never before but conceived. Trusting God brought them this reward. But the story doesn't end there. In this chapter, Abraham is called to sacrifice this promised son. And though, as we're talking about today, we'll never be called to do this, we can only imagine how hard this must have been for Abraham to do. After all, God was calling him to give up his beloved son that had just been born. Well, we know the rest of the story. Abraham obeyed. But we should not think that this obedience came easy. For Abraham, it did, it did not get up right away. He delayed the journey until morning. Moreover, though, Abraham told Isaac that God would provide a lamb. We wonder how easy it was for, uh, for Abraham to believe this, especially since God never told him that he would. And yet God did come through with the lamb at the last moment. But until then, Abraham had to trust the Lord in these difficult situations. Uh, having passed his tests with fine colors, Abraham receives one final visit from the Lord. And in this chapter, the angel of the Lord is going to reiterate the promise of salvation to Abraham. He's going to have many offspring that will conquer Canaan and bless all the peoples. These benefits come because the patriarch did not withhold Isaac. And this is perplexing as it seems to make Abraham's redemption dependent on works. But how can this be if salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone? Now, these works cannot justify us. We will stand on Judgment Day only if Christ's merit clothes us by faith alone and Christ alone. As John Calvin writes in his Institutes, the saints of God have no single work that, if judged in itself, deserves not shame as its just reward. But justification is not the end of salvation. God justifies us so he can make us holy. Dr. R.C. Sproul says that faith and good works may be distinguished but never separated. Sanctification always follows justification. And over time, we will work with the Spirit to put our sin to death and bolster our faith. Calvin reminds us that the Lord bends, shapes, forms, and directs our wills to the rule of His righteousness. God inclines the will of His people to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with Him. Calvin also states in his Institutes, Those whom the Lord has destined by His mercy for the inheritance of eternal life, He leads into possession of it, according to His ordinary dispensation, by means of good works. That is to say, all those justified will, by faith and works, persevere to the end and gain eternal life. The Lord actually rewards us for these works, even though they are not possible without grace. And when God blesses Abraham on account of the sacrifice of Isaac, he is rewarding him for the perseverance he has given to the patriarch in the first place. Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching today's episode of the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. My name is Dave, and until tomorrow, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to also like, subscribe, or follow Servants of Grace on Facebook, Instagram, X, or YouTube. We appreciate your support.